Happy Saturday. I've said that some over the years. We've probably done, I would say, 15 or 20 weekend extras in our nine years. Well, it was time for a 16th or a 21st, because if you got to spend time with us earlier this week, you already know what to expect. Great camaraderie, conversation, shared wisdom, maybe a little love, too, with some of my favorite fools, contributors to this podcast's mailbags over the last nine years. And we thought, well, in addition to the earlier podcast we recorded this week, Why wouldn't we spend a little extra time, if you wanted to spend it with us, for the first time together as a group and explore some open-ended questions? So I've got four of them, and that's what we got for you for this rare weekend extra. Let's get started. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome. It is... It is an extra. We don't do extras enough. It's extra fun to do extras. And this week, it made extra sense to do extras because of the crowd that we had. And I hope you, dear listener, spending some time with us on your weekend or some time after, I hope you're looking forward, as I am, to opening it up with this group of fools. And I have four open-ended questions just to have, I hope, an enjoyable discussion full of some Wisdom, maybe a laugh or two. It's not going to be too long. This is a weekend extra. But I I prepared four questions, and I'm going to take them one at a time. Are we ready, team? Yeah, let's do it, Dave. All right. Question number one. We're going to reflect on change and adaptability here with this first question. So I want you each to look back over the years of investing and engaging with rule breaker investing. What's one significant change that you've made to your investment strategy or mindset as a result of, of an unexpected lesson or experience, maybe? Something that, that might surprise you or us to hear. How has is, how is adaptation contributed to your growth as an investor? And Jason Newman, I see you with your hand up. Start us. Sure, David. So, I, you know, I gave this one some thought and I, and I can't help but uh, think back with wonder about the concept of a spiffy pop when I when I was first getting started, um, when this podcast even was first getting started, and I I longed for the day, and every now and then we'd get those days where there was just, uh, you know, I remember you always used to say, and probably still do, spiffy is for closers because I'd be so excited at the first thing in the morning after a good earnings report that I might have a spiffy pop coming and. Um, and, and it, w- the change for me was when, um, when the term forget me pop became old hat, um, the change for me, which was just, you know, truly remarkable and amazing was when spiffy pops were not even celebrated anymore because the power and the value of th- the time that had passed made them almost inevitable on a daily basis in some cases. Um, and, and what, and, and really the, the, the impact that's had on me as an investor has been to be a comfortable enough to just let my winners run, but more importantly, perhaps comfortable enough to just let my losers lose. I used to comb through my portfolio on a biannual basis and sort of sell yep. the re- the real dogs. Um, now I'm totally comfortable having mine. And I, like you, I still have never lost all of my capital, but <laughs> I've got some that are like minus 80. My, I just never sell anymore. 
Uh, and that's, I guess, the change. That really is a change. And Jason, just defining our terms briefly, because many listeners, many fools, fellow fools will know what a spiffy pop is, but there are also new people all the time. So this is when you make more money in a single day than the cost basis that you have for that stock. So if you bought a stock way back when at $12 a share, let's say, and years later, it usually does take some years, Jason, years later, the stock goes up by more than $12 in a single day. We call that not just a pop, but a spiffy pop and a forget me pop, which Jason also as a fantastic fool knows, and I hope the whole world knows this, but for those who don't, once you get 13 of those, when it happens for a 13th time for the same stock, which by the way will happen, if you get them and you behave this way, you will have your winners keep winning. It becomes a little bit not worthy of celebration anymore. So we call the 13th, the Baker's Dozen, the forget me pop because we're just going to not count it or celebrate anymore. Adam Nelson. You may think that I always thought about stocks in terms of market cap based on my mailbag track record, but that is one thing <laughs> that I actually did kind of uh, glean from listening you know, to your podcast and, and participating in the community. Um, I still hear many people to this day talk about stocks being expensive because the per share price is high or other ones are cheap because they, they're low and they think they can afford to buy that particular stock. But I think thinking about the size of companies and uh, how big that that market cap can grow to is is really powerful. Um, the market cap game show kind of teaches you that, you know, if you think the market cap is much higher than it actually turns out to be, you know, perhaps maybe that's a company that you should take a deeper look at. Um, one of the Examples I have, I think, where this is really powerful is is just thinking back to 2018. We may have exchanged a message about this, but when Apple first crossed the one trillion dollar market cap uh, threshold, I remember thinking, "Well, how much larger could this thing actually become? You know, it's it's huge. Surely it has to stop." And 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 I think a little bit later um, that year, you know, it did lose something like 300 or. $400 billion of market cap in the fourth quarter of 2018 when we had a, a brief bear market, but memorable uh, in some ways. But then it now has gone on to be 4x that amount at $2.8 And who knows where it can stop? Uh, you know, and that's just one example. It's not necessarily you know, an endorsement, but I think it's amazing to think about how much potential that these companies have and how they can continue to grow and impress us and unexpected ways. Such a good point, Adam. I do remember like back in the day, people saying, could there ever actually be a trillion dollar market cap? And the answer is yes, multiple times so far and uh, multiple trillions. Jason Moore. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I think just to further on Adam's point there as well. So if, uh, if listeners have uh, gone back and actually listened to Wednesday's episode and set up um, you know that spot uh, Shopify was uh, something that sort of introduced me into this as well and and Shopify has I do continue to hold that um, but coming back to your original six traits of the rule breaker you know number three is a strong past price appreciation and 
building on what Adam said, right? Looking at Shopify and how much that had gone up as a company, it did make me nervous when I was first purchasing stocks to do that. But as I've held it throughout time, I'm actually more confident in the companies that have shown their ability to have stock appreciation as they also expand as a company um, and feel more comfortable holding those for the long term. Jason, I really appreciate that point. You know, Shopify has been just unbelievably volatile, and I know you know this because you've held it all the way through. Those spiffy pops that we all enjoyed that were running there, especially through 2021, they dried up awfully quickly as the stock dropped from 170 to 40, actually below 40, some of 2022. Very happy to say it's tripled off of its lows a few years ago, but this is one of the better, bigger companies of our time exhibiting that kind of volatility. Many people, especially who are new, especially to rule breaker investing, need to know that's part of what you're buying into if you're going to buy into a I'm holding approach to investing. And I'm pretty sure that each of us is doing that and we know the benefits, but you have to know the detriments as well. Dave Geck, you have your hand up. Uh, yes. Uh, I wanted to mention about how when I switched from the dark side of Team Tom to Team David. And uh, when I originally came on to Motley <laughs> Fool, I uh, joined uh, Hidden Gems, of which uh, Tom was uh, one of the uh, writers at the time. And uh, then later on, I had such success that I uh, bought into Stock Advisor. And uh, I got to admit, I was more in line with Tom's thinking than I was of uh, David. You know, had a great name, but Tom had a better look. Um, so then, <laughs> then I noticed, my God, you know, Dave keeps trouncing his brother. So maybe I ought to look into this. And I thought, well, no, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to set him in his place. And at the time, it was uh, with Priceline which is the forerunner of booking. And you kept recommending Priceline and it kept going up and you recommend Priceline and it kept going up. And I said, well, I'm going to buy Priceline. Not because I think it's going to go up, but I'm going to put that boy in his place and it'll go down. I had done the same thing with Wang Computer many years before and was able to put them out of out of business. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Wang was going to be the replacement for IBM. And for a while, it certainly looked like they were going to. But anyway, lo and behold, uh, Priceline and then Booking kept going up also. So that's when the first started thinking, you know what? There is something maybe to uh, buy good companies and hold them. And if they go up, maybe that's the time to jump on them. And I've done that many a time since then. I really appreciate that, Dave Gack. And you know, it takes having that happen to you a few times and not being part of it to realize, I, I don't think it's possible just to intuit that without having that experience. I think, and I had that too. And by the way, Tom and I share so many like-minded thoughts about investing, but sometimes the focus is on what, what, what makes us different. But I appreciate all of those points. All right, on to question number two. This one's about the intersection of passion and investing. So friends, we often talk about the importance of investing in what we know and what we love, making our portfolio reflect our best vision for the future. Could you share a story or anecdote about, about how your personal passions or interests led you to an investment or business opportunity? How did this alignment influence the outcome? Mike McMahon. Um, I think it's more of an interest 
I still remember uh, when my, under the age of 10, going to the place of work my mom worked, where she had worked in the computer center, where the punch cards were being processed, and had a fascination with the, the whirling cards, and then remembering college and going through punch decks to be able to compile programs, which then led to my fascination with computer computer and technology, and it's been an overall passion of mine and or interest, actually, where I've constantly looked, tried to learn, and as a result, ended up most of my uh, portfolio is now technology-based. Mike, you're a little older than I am, but not that much older, and not so much older that I don't also remember the punch cards. And I remember a daisy wheel printer, and that's how you didn't have screens back then. It printed you, if you were writing a little program, it printed it on paper back to you. So I can get in touch with that. But I really, aren't we glad we got to grow up and invest during the computer age that then turned in to an age of connectivity and information? Uh, it has its downsides. But I think the upsides are greater than the down. And man, as investors, how lucky have we been to experience this kind of growth? Jason Moore. Yeah, thanks, David. Well, um, I am sort of a jack of all trades, but one of the actual trades that I have is that I'm a qualified electrician. And I can remember back uh, in late 2000s having a discussion with a family friend uh, about this, you know, really up and coming business uh, called Tesla and how amazing it was. And I spent probably close to an hour uh, on my soapbox that night talking about how amazing Tesla was and the products that they had coming and how the future was shaping up. But unfortunately, at the time, I still had not found my way to individual investing. And um, so over the course of the next decade, uh, I sat there and still continued to talk about Tesla and, and build them up, but I didn't have a part in that company. And so luckily, things do change. In 2020, I finally found my way there and was able to get an initial investment there. And it's done well for me. And I plan to hold that potentially till the day I die. But um you know, it's uh, I, I heard you talk about the circle of competence and investing in what you know, and uh, it uh, that's just a home run for me. Really appreciate that point, Jason. And, you know, I, I've always thought, how wonderful is it that we live in a society, in a culture where we can actually become part owners of the things that we esteem? I mean, that is itself is a small miracle. For the most of human history, that was completely impossible. But the more people who are switching on to that, who kind of get that and then actually do it, the better and stronger our future, I think. Adam Nelson. So my wife is a big runner. She is a Boston Marathon qualifier and has done that um, and run many marathons. And after the pandemic, I actually took up trail running um, alongside her. And one of the you know, brands that we became familiar with was Hoka. And after a little bit of research, I came to find out that, oh, this is owned by a publicly traded company, uh, Decker's Outdoor Corporation, and they also make Uggs. And that stock has just been on a remarkable run. My wife still owns it. I sold it way too soon, of course. Um, <laughs> and that's a, a lesson in itself. But I think uh, it's just amazing how, you know, just paying attention and observing your own passions, but also the passions of other people around you can have a, 
a really positive impact on on your investing. And you know, it's funny to hear Adam say that because I myself, neither a trail runner nor ever will be a marathon runner, but I do a little bit of running on my own to try to I don't know, live longer, feel good about myself. And I asked a friend of mine who actually knows running, like, what shoes should I get? And that friend said, Hoka's. Now, this is not a paid for advertisement, although it is an advertisement, I think, for Hoka's. But but I'm not here to talk about Hoka's. I'm here to say I was the lazy bum who didn't even look up who owned Hoka or whether they were independent. Often people think, well, Dave, you know, you, you've invested for 30 years. You do the podcast. You co-founded The Motley Fool. Surely you would know, right, that Hoka's was owned by Deckers Outdoors. But no, not until Adam just said that or this podcast did I know that. And now I see that I've missed a great stock. And that's to my regret. So the process of asking the things around you that you like, could I be a part owner of that? That process never ends. And we probably don't ask that question enough. Before we move on to question number three, Dave Geck, quick thought from you. Okay. Uh, one thing is that uh, I'm a little bit outside of just buying uh, what I know. Uh, sometimes I like to buy stocks that just I hear about it and it just kind of intrigues me to find out something about it. And so I uh, I invest in it and uh Sometimes it turns out very well. Sometimes it turns out uh, not so well. Uh, I try not to remember which ones they are, but I think like Care, I think, was one of them that uh, caught my interest for whatever interest, uh, for whatever reason. Went up for a while, but then it, it plunged horribly. But but I, I like to do that just on the fringe. And that's how I ended up with about 200 companies, I guess, that I own. <laughs> That's fantastic. And 53 years of investing will do some of that for you as well. But let me say, Dave, that I totally celebrate that. Of course, I'm I'm a huge fan of buying the things that we, we do know and that we esteem most of all. But I'm also a big fan. And I a circle of competence, a phrase that I think we used uh, earlier this week. It may have come from Jason Moore's mouth on our 100th mailbag episode. But what I've often said is, yes, we should keep our money inside that circle, inside the circle of things that we know, but we should always be looking to extend the perimeter of that circle to make the radius, the diameter, am I remembering my geometry right, of that circle to keep extending outwards. So the widening our circle of competence by leading a more interesting life, part of that, I do think, Dave Gack, is being a little uncomfortable not buying a lot, but buying a little bit of something that you think is interesting and that will cause you, by dint of being a part owner, to pay more future attention. I'm glad to hear it's at least some of the time worked. And we're all very comfortable with things that don't work. As somebody who I think a big part of this podcast has been me talking about losing a lot, I think that's very important. Let's move on to question number three. We're going to call this one predictions versus principles. In a world where do you notice this? Market predictions often grab headlines. The rule breaker investing philosophy, I would say we prioritize timeless principles over timing the market. Can you share a moment when sticking to your principles over following a trend paid off? Or maybe conversely, a time when it was challenging, but ultimately you reaffirmed your commitment to some of our rule breaker principles. Jason Newman. Sure. Yeah, I can think of a couple. I think the two uh, most prominent ones that come to mind for me 
over the last decade or two were um, number one, when Reed Hastings came out and said, we're going to split the company in two and we're going <laughs> to call the DVD by mail business Quickster and and the streaming business is going to be Netflix. And Mr. Market didn't like that too much. And yeah, that was a, a, that was a fun drop on the roller coaster looking back. Uh, certainly wasn't fun at the time, but when everyone else was running for the hills, you know, for me at least, I always remember Jim Mueller and, and, and some of the commentary that he had on the message boards. Motley Fool analyst Jim Mueller, love it. If you watch CNBC, which I I don't, but if you if you if you read the trade press, it was consensus out, and if you read the message boards or trusted your gut, it was consensus in, and um, not all. That was one of the one of the first and only times that I've really um, doubled down. I know you always say add up, don't double down. Certainly one of our principles, Jason. Although I want to support you in saying that occasionally. Rule breakers can break our rules. And I've certainly occasionally added very infrequently, but to something that has lost a huge amount of value. And I, and I that day added up on or doubled down on Netflix when in my gut I knew I was adding up. And those, as wow. I mentioned on Wednesday's show, uh, are some of the shares where my cost basis is, you know, under three dollars and and um, you know, some of the, you know, that's life-changing returns on an investment, no matter how small it is. Um, and then the other one I'll ask, I'll add to that is, um, I had never heard of a Dutch auction before, but being as innovative as they were when, when Sergey and Larry took Google public, they did so in a very democratic way called a Dutch auction. And I knew I wanted shares of Google uh, at the IPO, even though, as the Motley Fool has always said, it's you don't always have to be first; you just have to be in. And um, I just wanted—I was interested, and I subscribed to a Dutch auction. And uh, most people don't know that that was an that that Dutch auction was undersubscribed. As a matter of fact, uh, shares of Google went public at eighty-five dollars a share, as opposed to what I think they were expecting to be somewhere north of a hundred dollars a share. And so those of us that participated in that Dutch auction um, benefited from that. Those returns are, are also life-changing returns, to be clear. But I knew uh, that that you know that I knew that the puck was going in the direction of Google in the future, and I wanted to be along for that ride. Thank you for both those memorable examples, John. Well. Um- we're talking about sticking with the timeless principle, right? Um, I don't know if this would tie it into this, but I have a my passion about like investing or the rules about investing is diversification. So diversify your portfolio. And I talked about it on the Wednesday, the hundred mailbag podcast, that um, it is very important for you to have a um, diversified portfolio because that will allow you to have both loser and a winner and then for the luck to turn your way. I have a story about me and my friends were looking into this penny stock. Um, It was a stock that was working towards um, nanotechnology uh, for the vaccine, the virus vaccine, right? Hmm. So this is a very um, interesting story. We we were both looking at it. I wasn't so much into the idea of investing into the um, a micro cap or a very 
I don't know, penny stocks, so to speak. But he convinced me into, let's look at this, you know, they're working into something interesting. So I put some money into it, not a lot. I bought 500 chair at a very, very small amount of money, maybe not even $2,000. So fast forward, he put all of his money in that one oh. company. So a couple of years goes by, nothing's happened. He's like, I'm going to sell it. This is 2019. So you could say where the where this going. So as soon as he sold it, and I thought, oh, it hasn't done anything for a couple of years. Maybe I should sell it too. But because I have others, other companies that I'm investing in, so I wasn't paying attention. In 2020, when COVID hit, you could tell how that stock has gone up because it's one of the companies that was working towards the vaccine for the COVID. So that's the that's my um, line about like the importance of you have to diversify your portfolio. You cannot put yeah, and that will allow you for sometimes for luck to turn your way. Sorry to prosper. And I appreciate that point about luck, which you did say on Wednesday's show as well. We didn't have time to talk about that much, but you just illustrated a good example. I mean, it was really bad luck that COVID even ever happened, but it did happen. And the timing of it was also luck. And yet, um, wow. So the difference between getting a win and not there was being diversified. Because for you, Jum, you know, it was just another holding and you could just sit there and let it linger or right. languish for as long as need be. Your friend had gone all in, which is, I think, always a mistake. But um, and as a consequence, with nothing happening for a few, it just felt like I need to get out of this because all my money is not doing anything. So the difference, as you say, of diversification, uh, Jason Moore. Yeah, thanks, David. <laughs> I've got I've got a couple of quotes that are ringing around in my head that are coming Love off it. from this one. So the first one comes to probably my most listened to episode of RBI with Frank Reich, Two Fools, from a few years ago, um, July 4th, 21, I believe. <laughs> and Frank says, no man becomes suddenly different from his habit and cherished thought, right? And how does that play into my investing? Well, there's another great quote from somebody who may go unmentioned on this one. It sounds something like, make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you might know that one as, as a, a David Gardner special, something he uh, will go to the grave well known for. And the, the final one comes back to... Um, a quote that I've been saying for 25 years now, and it's uh, unattributed, but it's been mentioned here before, is people of integrity expect to be believed. And if they're not, they let time prove them right. And when I look at the combination of all three of those and how they tie in together, I look back to my very early days of starting to invest in individual stocks and trading in and out. Um, and really what that was is that I didn't have a system and I didn't have a belief, something to sort of help me as a North Star going through my investments. And so when a little bit of bad news came around, it was very easy to sell it off. And then you would learn to regret that later on. <laughs> as I have um, really centered in on, on these three quotes, um, it helps me understand, A, what I cherish the most, 
and B, what companies I want to invest in because of what they believe and where I believe they're going. And so focusing in strictly on those two, it allows me to sit through sort of stormy waters that their stock price may reflect, even though the business themselves are still heading towards that direction of growth. Mm, what a great what a great combination of three wonderful quotations. Well, at least two of them, since one of them is mine. I won't say that, but but really appreciate that, Jason, because it, it conviction has to come from somewhere, and it needs to be in place for somebody to hold something that's underperforming, or if the entire market is dropping, you have to have conviction. So where does your conviction originate from? And I think uh, it's one measure, knowledge base. I mean, being an, uh, an electrician, and seeing Tesla in a way that I couldn't see would be an example of that. But uh, but also your hope and your passion. And we talked about that earlier this week on the Mailbag Show. Um, when you really hope for something, it you make it much more likely that your own actions will be in accordance and alignment with that hope, not disbelieving yourself, trading out. And what a sad reflection for any of us. And we can all have it because we've all done this before. And we'll probably do it again. When you had a conviction, but you didn't have the courage of your conviction. And as a consequence, you missed out on the reward that you deserved, but you didn't have the mindset or habits in place to benefit from that. Dave Gack. Uh, yes. Uh, I was thinking about how back in 2008, uh, the plant that I uh, was running, I was uh, the night before it was about 10 o'clock at night, and the next day was going to be a horrible day because I was going to have to go in and tell everybody we were shutting the plant down. So this was going to affect, you know, 500 people or so. I get a call from my boss at about 10 o'clock at night saying, Dave, we don't have the money. You're going to stay open until we have, until the economy turns around. And I said, what? This is General Electric. How could we not have $1 million to close a plant that's going to lose over a million dollars in the next year. He said, we don't have it. So at that time, I told my wife, I said, well, this is quite amazing. She says, maybe we better get out of you know the market, sell everything that we have. And I said, no, there's no place to run if GE is going to go under. This is yeah. probably the best time. This is either going to be the best time or the worst time, but I had no place where I can run. So I said, okay, Redoubled my efforts and, and, and stayed the course. Um, fortunately, or unfortunately, I, I knew I was going to have a job because I couldn't afford to close me. And wow. uh, sure enough, about 10 months later, they did give a call and they said, okay, things are looking okay. Go ahead and make the announcement tomorrow. And that was uh, that was tough. It was tough. But on one side, but on the other side, I said, okay, good. I'm glad I stayed in and things just shot up from there. Wow. Well, to reflect back on that time, there were so, there was so much stress. I mean, I think most listeners, whether or not they were investors at the time, most were alive at the time. And just the systemic shock, the gut punch that our entire banking and mortgage system took and our, all of our financial markets, it, it, it's hard to get back in touch with how scary that was. And really, how painful that was, and so, and Dave, you in the position of leadership that you were, and and having to gut it out over months, um, some combination of trying to think about your own nest egg and what your conversation is with your wife, 
and think about your employees and the decisions being made by the leaders at a big company. Um, it's just, uh, it's a swirl of goodness and badness and, and hard and easy, but I'm glad it got easier from 2009 on. In retrospect, we all look back and say, that was an incredible time to be buying stock. Kind of like a quickster moment, oh, as was. Jason Newman mentioned for Netflix a few years later. All right. And as we close out this weekend, extra and a special week for this podcast with my hundredth mailbaggers, let's confront this final open-ended question. I'm going to call this one the ripple effect of foolish investing. Investing isn't just about personal gain. It's about impact. So could any of you share an example of how your investment decisions have led to positive outcomes beyond just your portfolio. Might be influencing your community, maybe family or others, someone around the water cooler at work, or maybe promoting innovation, opening eyes around you about the ways things could actually be, or maybe some contribution to community or social change, some aspect where there was a ripple effect that you did that thing that you did as an investor. Jason Moore. Yeah, sure. I'll jump in on this one. I, I might have mentioned it. Uh, I can't remember in a mailbag or in a tweet somewhere. Um, but when I was a lot younger, my very first introduction to investing, I suppose, looking back on it was that uh, my older brother had taken some of his hard earned money and uh, as a teenager um, had made an initial investment uh, in a few companies. And it just so happened to be right around the time of uh, the dot-com bubble. And so he put an initial investment as things were going up and very, very quickly lost most of his money at that point, sold everything that he could and uh, basically vowed you know, not to do something ever so crazy again. And uh, that was one of my takeaways going through my 20s as well. And as I started getting back into investing and understanding the difference between investing and trading and the ups and downs that are associated with that, I've had several different conversations with him along the time and sharing the wisdom I've learned through Motley Fool, but also through the, the books that I've read as a, as a side project to that, um, I've got him back interested in it, at least at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, it's only one small impact, but certainly the conversations that we've had have helped me as I talk to several other people, my kids included, um, and, uh, letting them know that, you know, there's, there's no way to tell when your first, uh, decision to invest when that might be. But, uh, as it's been stated so many times, you know, given enough time, it tends to go up and to the right. And if you can have that conviction within it, you know, um, things will work out for the best. Thank you for that, Jason. Well said. Mike McMahon. Um, I think I mentioned on the Wednesday uh, podcast about investing in yourself or investing in myself. Um, I still recall reading one of the first books that I read when I was a teenager about doing a number of different steps to goal setting and stuff. And one of them was to create a bucket list. And as a result of creating that bucket list, um, I had one of them that said that I would uh, run for public office. 
So starting in 1996, I ran for school board, lost, 98, ran again, lost, ran in 2000, lost. And then finally in 2002, I was elected to school board, local school board ah. as a result of that bucket list item. I, I served for 12 years. And uh, it got to the point where I think people came up to me and basically thought they were voting for an incumbent by the time I was running in fourth time. <laughs> uh, that's what a wonderful example. And, you know, Mike, you, you, you've talked a lot about journaling and, and that was in fact earlier this week referenced by one of our other members, the importance uh, uh, of doing so in future. Uh, and, and so I, I know how contemplative and reflective you are as a person. It's clearly been there all the way through your life, but I see it in you as an investor. Earlier this week on the mailbag, you talked about how you're really only just starting as an investor and you, you're, you're aiming for 25 plus years going forward. You have been investing for several years now. Warren Bennis said one of the four lessons of self-knowledge is, and it's number four actually, he closes with this one, the importance of reflecting in order to learn going forward. We have to reflect on our past experience. I think the stock market gives us a great opportunity, not just our own experience, but to reflect on the world at large or companies. And even though I don't use graphs or charts, I think that's a mistaken approach to trying to pick stocks. I love stock graphs because they show me graphically where something has been. So, any quick thought back from you about that, Mike? I think if you also, I think you missed one of the uh, contributions I made to your uh, RBI podcast with the 150 word summary. Uh-huh. Bill, Bill Mann's uh, 150 word summary. I sent you one that you were able to read, which is exactly to the same point. Okay. Yeah. I'm channeling. I can't keep up or remember all of the mailbag contributions, even from my most esteemed contributors. But yes, that's a good example of me just sort of inculcating or bringing in what I've learned and then just saying it and not remembering where it came from, which I think is going to happen increasingly for me going forward. So I think it's already happening. Jump. Yes. Well, as you know, we come to kind of a close here. I was wanting to say something about, I was able to kind of change some people in my life, say, change someone's mind about capitalism by introducing them to the conscious capitalism ideas. Um, I, one thing that really stuck with me is what Raj has said in one of his, Raj Sasodia has said in one of the uh, podcasts that you interview him. It said that if you cannot respect the way you earned it, money has no value. And mm. you cannot use it to make people's life better. Money has no purpose. So that is kind of what stuck with me. And that's what makes me wanted to help other people get on building their own wealth so that when we have more people become more financially uh, stable, financially stable, then we can help more people, you know, it's paying it forward. So that, that was kind of one thing that I have done in my own own life is getting people started investing. That is such a gift that you are giving that you probably will never fully be able to understand the value of that gift that you've been giving. And it's probably been three degrees of influence. It's probably been spread in concentric circles outward from that person, whether through word or deed. That's really wonderful, John. And I'm so glad you shared that Raj Sasodia quote. What a great quote. 
All right, Dave Gack, take us home. Oh, it's going to be a long one. Um, one of the things is that uh, when I think about impacts outside of my investments is that uh, when I was at GE, uh, we had uh, my boss's boss came by to uh, every so often. And this was the first time I was going to meet him. And uh, he ran about, he had about 100 plan managers under him, of which I was one. And every time he'd come, he would have the young and upping rising stars of the company uh, join him, and the plant managers were there to, to go also. And for some reason, it was just part of the culture that there was way too much drinking, way too much drinking at, at this festivity. But that's the way it was. But it just so happened that I was under some medication at that time, so I didn't drink at all. And I, I kind of stood out on the thing, I got to admit. But uh, afterwards, a couple of the people came up to me and said, oh, I'm so glad you didn't drink. I don't drink, but God, it, it shows me that, you know, I don't have to go along with everything just because. And I was thinking, well, I probably would have been drinking. But then <laughs> after that, it kind of set me to the fact that I couldn't drink at these functions anymore. And so I didn't because I always felt a responsibility to those that did not want to. Wow. One time, my one time my boss's boss says, "I noticed that you don't drink at these functions," and uh, you know, maybe personal, but is there a reason? Or, or and uh, do you not drink at all? And I said, "Oh no, I I I drink. I don't drink at these functions." And he goes, "Why not?" And I didn't want to let in on on those, so I, I told him, <laughs> I told him, I said, "Well, I just remember something that my dad always told me," and he said, "What's that?" And he and I said. Don't drink around people you don't trust. And he just kind of gave me a shocked look. And then he said, <laughs> darn good advice. <laughs> Afterwards, uh, when he retired, uh, I met up with him and then uh, we drank to excess. Just to show him that, yeah, I did intentionally the whole time. <laughs> uh, a, a great Dave Gack story. There are many to close. And we are going to close it out right now. I really want to thank, again, my guests and my contributors. Uh, not all could be part of this Weekend Extra, but I want to reflect, again, the names of Jason Moore, Dave Geck, Jum, who, like, I don't know, Sharo or Prince, only needs one name because we know who that is. <laughs> we don't need a surname. Uh, not only Jum, Jason Trice, Adam Nelson, Mike McMahon, and Jason Newman. So thank you to each of you for this, these extra contributions, but most of all to the mailbag that we shared together, number 100 for Rule Breaker Investing this week. My friends, full on. All right. Well, I think we can put a wrapper on February, especially because it's not even February anymore. It's March. And if you've followed our podcast in recent weeks, you know what to expect for the first time in Rule Breaker Investing podcast history, yeah, they do this in college basketball too, but we're bringing March Madness to Rule Breaker Investing. It's March Market Cap Madness, bringing back four past champions of the Market Cap Game Show. And over the next three weeks, this final four will do two semifinal shows and a finals show naming the 2024 
Market Cap Game Show National Champion for the first time. Very excited already rubbing my hands together for March Market Cap Madness coming soon. In fact, this coming Wednesday to a podcast platform near you. Yes, I'll be watching some basketball too. If you're a fan, perhaps you will, but I hope everybody will tune in for March Market Cap Madness. See you soon, Fulon. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.